All right. What's up, friends? How are we doing? Let me get this sorted out the right way. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show, Simply Cyber Live, where we bring in uh, just absolute killer guests who know what's going on in the cybersecurity community to deliver value to you, education, and just straight up have a wicked good time talking about all the things cyber. Now, I want to drop this on you, okay? We often talk about the tactical aspects of cybersecurity, right? Like hands-on keyboard, patch this, break that, whatever, right? But strategy, philosophy, budget, board sentiment are all factors that must be considered for successful cybersecurity programs. Believe me, that's where the money comes from, all right? But how do you navigate this and ultimately avoid C-suite cyber chaos? Well, we're going to find that out today, and I'm wicked, wicked excited about it, okay? I had the pleasure of meeting today's guest when I was luckily and randomly seated next to her at a cybersecurity insurance breakfast session at Black Hat 2016. Trust me, people, people who like cybersecurity insurance, they get together for breakfast because, you know, like they're up at 7 a.m. eating brunch together or breakfast and, and talking about these type of things. It was wonderful speaking with her. Uh, then and every conversation I've had with her since then has been awesome. In fact, I tried to hunt her down when I was in Vegas a few weeks ago, unsuccessful, but I tried. Now, chat, choose your favorite emote, please, and join me in welcoming our guest today, Liz Wharton, VP Operations at Scythe. And that's just her current role, and she's amazing and she's done so much more. Okay. You're going to get bananas at this. So definitely drop, drop some like whatever applause emotes, smiley face emote. If you got squad membership, drop your favorite squad, maybe an Oprah one, some love for Liz. Um, Liz is a Virginia tech graduate. So if we got hokey people in the house, let that fly too. She went on to get her law degree from Georgia state university in 2003. And she was a city attorney focused on aviation in Atlanta in the late 2000 teens before pivoting over to Scythe. But Jerry, why does, why would I care, right? Why, you may be asking yourself, like what is a city attorney around aviation in Atlanta, Hotlanta, have anything to do with cybersecurity? Well, it's a good question, totally fair. Liz was heavily involved in the response to the Sam Sam ransomware attack in the city of Atlanta in March 2018. So how's that for a mic drop? She has dealt with one of the most kind of well-publicized and, you know, very, very harsh. Before, before ransomware got like mainstream and cool, Sam Sam was doing technical exploitation. No fishes needed there uh, to really hurt. And they brought down, they really messed with Atlanta. And she was right there at ground zero. So she knows what's going on with all this stuff. Now, Liz has spoken in multiple events, including what I would consider a bucket list speaking engagement, DEF CON. She was also recently awarded, and hey, do me a favor, everybody. Sit down, hold on to your socks so they don't blast off, okay? Because she's our guest today. She was recently awarded the 2022 Cybersecurity Woman of the Year Award in the Cybersecurity or Privacy Law category. That is sick. Liz is wicked smart, really fun, and an absolute great person. We are in for a treat today. I hope you enjoy the show. Let's go get Liz. What's up, Liz? How are you? 
I'm doing well. And can you do that like hype? And like, I need to play that on repeat, like every morning when I'm getting up going, oh, it's Monday. I'd be like, oh, but great things are coming. So thank you. Not, hey. Yeah, not, not just not just great things. You should clip what I just did. And like, you know, your alarm <laughs> clock, instead of being like, brr, brr, it can be like Liz Wharton, 22, 22, cybersecurity woman of the year. Just like have like a hype train to wake you up. You'd, you'd probably just like run through the wall. It'd be sick. I love it. So oh, don't Liz. think I haven't uh, been walking around with a like little statue trophy just being like, that's right. I don't have to do dishes today because I'm an award winner. Award winners yeah. don't have to, but they do. I could see you being like, go, go to a nice restaurant. You're like, yeah, table for two. They're like reservation. You're like, no, no, no. Um, yeah. This this right here is my reservation. Nice. Mm -hmm. So before we get into cybersecurity, Liz, you are an attorney. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I've heard I've heard stories about bar exam. Can you just before we get into this, I'm just curious. <laughs> like, is the bar exam all that, or is this just a myth that the lawyers put together to avoid other people becoming lawyers? Well, and it comes with a disclaimer that while I am a lawyer, I am not yours, unless you're an employee of Scythe, in which case I'm not really your lawyer. I'm Scythe's lawyer. But uh, with that or out of the lawyer. way. Yeah, I, a lawyer. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, but it really, you think about, uh, was it JFK Jr.? flunked the New York bar how many times? Uh, and then there's, I, I always gave myself a hope when I was studying by looking around at just some of the absolute idiots that are <laughs> licensed to practice. And okay. I thought to myself, if they can pass this exam, then surely surely I can get it. Maybe not the first try, but, and I did, but yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, congratulations. I have heard okay. horror stories, not just about the exam, but really about the preparation required <laughs> to go into that exam. So yeah, I, I'm I laughing love at the better call salt, right? That is, I'm just like, you know, poor guy, just trying to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So again, Chad, I, I didn't mention it in the intro, but if you do have questions specifically for Liz, please drop a cue in the front of it so it'll flag for me visually and I can pull it up and make sure that Liz answers your questions. So Liz, you know, what are the, mm -hmm. like, let's just dive right in. The very first, the reason I reached out to you uh, to, to see if you'd be interested in coming on was the this Uber, uh, ex-Uber, Jason Sullivan, um, story where basically he is being indicted or he's been indicted again uh, you want you made a disclaimer about who you're a lawyer for allow me to make a disclaimer that i know legal buzzwords but i probably use them incorrectly so please uh if you need to rephrase the question please please do <laughs> so he's being indicted for uh a bunch of different felonies and it's all around not disclosing that uber was hacked back in you know 2017, I believe, uh, and basically trying to pay hush money to the hackers and cover it up. But because it's a publicly traded company, um, you know he, he can't do that. So I wanted to ask you this question and, and kind of kick off the conversation. We could talk just about Uber in specific, but in the bigger picture of liability and ownership of when a company gets breached and who gets held accountable, um, what are your thoughts around this Uber situation and the way that it transpired versus the way that, you know, it should have gone? And then the bigger picture of our executives, are the C-suite people responsible, um, you know, when there's a hack? 
Yeah. So let's set the stage. And what we're looking at is one of the first times that an executive is being not only held financially liable for some of this, but with the Department of Justice and the trial that's currently underway. So we don't know how it's going to play out. Like grab your popcorn. It is just fascinating. But it is the first time an executive is facing jail time Mm-hmm. For what were essentially, you know, it, some would say business decisions. Uh, but let's even pause a little bit more. Okay, my attempt at humor. There's a reason <laughs> why I'm not a stand-up comedian. But uh, to borrow from Katie Masaurus, one of the amazing trailblazers in this industry, you know what uh, CSO um, stands for, or C- CSO stands for, right? Uh, Chief security officer? No, no, my friend. Chief sacrificial officer. Because stuff goes sideways. Who are they going to sacrifice? The CSO. Um, But with all jokes aside, I mean, you look at, again, kind of setting the stage. You have 2016 Uber Reach. And what was going on in the background was Uber had a 2014 uh, breach that had been, mm-hmm. as well as just some general, uh, let's say, allegations by the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, of lax practices, security issues. And so you have the chief security officer at the time, who also happened to be a deputy general counsel negotiating with the FTC saying, okay, okay, we had some earlier breaches. Let's negotiate uh, the settlement. Let's let's figure out, because as everyone knows, the FTC really is just about settlements. They want money and they want action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in reality, let's be snarky for a second. They just want money. Um, but what, what against that backdrop, you have this 2016 breach and there's allegations that uh, the Department of Justice says, okay, he knew about this. Sullivan knew about this and didn't like didn't disclose it to us as we were reaching the the settlement on the 2014 2000s. You know, so you've got kind of all of this happening in the background. Like, yeah, you should have told us, and by not telling us directly, specifically about what, what was going on with the two individuals that, you know, they paid the money to that really, you know, gosh, you obstructed our ability to negotiate the settlement. It's like, wait, what? So not that what they did was, you know, doing that, uh, was bad in itself, but it obstructed a settlement negotiation. Okay. Okay. And well, you, by entering into, so what happened with the two individuals is they, you know, stole 57 million users data said, Hey, mm-hmm. we've done this. And what Sullivan and the rest of the Uber team had worked on was that, okay, what about, Hmm. You want 100K in Bitcoin uh, as, you know, of your payment. They basically had turned it into a um, a bug bounty. 
and made it so, okay, what about you were really just disclosing to us some vulnerabilities in our system and we'll pay you a hundred grand, uh, as the payment for that. And as part of a bug bounty and sign some NDAs, if you've ever entered a bug bounty, uh, I'd say competition, but program, you know that you're going to have to sign some NDAs because lawyers, we like documents. This says, all right, all right, we'll only disclose it under these controlled terms. We won't do this. We won't do that. And they did it through HackerOne, which was the company that was managing Uber's bug bounty program. So they do all this. And then it starts coming out that, oh, wait a minute. Was that really a bug bounty? Or is that just an interesting way to... Uh, let's say cover up a breach. Yeah. So now you've got the Department of Justice coming and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you know what? We think we're going to charge him for this and for this obstruction of justice and everything. That's uh, penalties up to eight years in prison. Yeah, that's and, not something I want any piece of. <laughs> no. And what's even crazier is he's the only one. Because uh, there's like, oh, well, he's the one who was personally responsible. He made all these decisions. And it uh, Uber signed uh, settlements, like basically non-prosecution agreements with uh, like, hey, all right, we won't do this. We won't do that. Like basically everyone else got off the hook and mm. they're throwing you know, their former CSO, who of course was fired. So two people were fired in the wake of the Ubers, that breach. You mm -hmm. had one of the attorneys, I believe it was, and the CSO. So you're like, okay, like what is going on? There's just a lot happening that it's talking about like a dog eat dog kind of like there's no, there's no loyalty. There's no, everyone's just kind of like, no, it wasn't me. Wasn't me. Yeah. So, and, well, and, and, and I'm curious about your thoughts about this. So I've pulled up the indictment from the department of justice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, this is from December 22nd. So this isn't, I don't know, like, it's so weird how things move in the criminal or in the judicial system. Like <laughs> it was in the news last Monday, but like, this is from December 22nd, but it, it alleges here, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Liz. It alleges here that Sullivan falsely suggested to the new CEO that the incident was not a data breach, right? And mm -hmm. he allegedly misrepresented to the new CEO the nature and scope of the data compromise. So 57 mm -hmm. million records? Nah, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. Well, and go ahead. Well, and what's funny is it's like, okay, this is how the CEO is getting off the hook. Yeah, you know, the CEO is like, yeah. oh, no, I was told I acted solely on information provided by Sullivan. And you're like, all right, well, how did he get that information? You know, mm -hmm. how and is there some responsibility if you've got a CEO going, I mean, if I if somebody is like, don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Um, and <laughs> sorry, I for, <laughs> should have warned everyone. It's okay. um, I'm it's okay. doing it's my best. Plus. Exactly. PG-13. So. Um, but where that comes from is like, all right, if legitimately that's what happened is you call in the CSO. CSO says, I've done, we've done our research into the incident and yep, wasn't a data breach. You know, surely the CEO asked a follow-up question and is it like, 
is it the call of the CSO? Uh, or, and, you know, or crazy idea, the, you know, several people made that decision, not just the CSO. And, you know, I'm assuming there were some lawyers involved that they asked. I was just about to say there was a lot of lawyers involved if I had to Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, did they, and what all was presented to the CEO? Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I thought was fascinating is you have the former general counsel going, yeah, yeah, gosh, that Sullivan dude, oof, bad news. And he's like, yeah, I don't make decisions like that. I punt it. I'm just a CSO. I tell them what files were accessed, what data was accessed. And then he's like, and then I punt it to the lawyers and say, lawyers, here's the information. You know mm-hmm. what each of the 50 states uh, considers a data breach because a spoiler alert there, it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm, Um, And mm -hmm. that's not even getting into GDPR stuff. I mean, it's uh, whether it's, well, was it PII, personally identifiable information? Was it Mm -hmm. credit cards? Was it like, what was it as, as, you know, CSO, CISO, whatever, never make that call. Never put in writing that you were asking the lawyers and legal counsel what, like, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Here's the information. Y'all make your, like, you're the ones who passed the bar exams. Uh, you're the ones who are getting paid the big bucks. Tell me, is it this? Is it that? Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And another kind of dimension, you mentioned GDPR, but another dimension to this is that Uber has presence, quite a bit of presence in the state of California, which has very well-defined kind of high bar <sighs> privacy laws. And the fact that they covered up the entire incident, which involved driver's information, means that they were violating all of those privacy laws. So this isn't just about not disclosing to shareholders or playing down a problem. I mean, I haven't seen any of these crimes or indictments point to any of the California state law violations, which I assume it would be you know, a scalar value of however many citizens of the state of California were in, in fact impacted by this particular uh, cover-up, for lack of a better term. Well, and what was also fascinating is it's not just, it's just not, um, and as one of the comments point out, the CCPA in California, but you've also got Maryland, uh, oh gosh, and now I'm going to absolutely blank, Virginia. You've got a multitude of states that all, all have these like, hey, and that's what I said, like, you know, is it this combination of data? But there could be, and especially in this case, where you had the two na- the two individuals who ended up receiving the payment, the 100K bounty. And what I thought was kind of a funny side note is they mentioned there was a third person who may or may not had a copy of the data. And they're like, well, we can't get them to confirm that they actually deleted it or not. I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah, y'all broke into a comp, like you basically broke in, stole this information and suddenly you're going to become angels that we should believe. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yes. I pinky promise. I double dog, (laughs) you know, dare you. And it's just like, okay, there's no honor amongst thieves. And I can tell you as we talked to, uh, as part of the intro. So one of the things with city of Atlanta, when I can tell you the first couple hours, as we are realizing 
all of our systems are burning to the ground uh, and we're getting the scope. The first thing, it wasn't even that our in-house, our you know city attorneys, we basically called in immediately our insurer and we called it an outside counsel. And he sat there with basically a 50 state summary of all of the data breach notification laws and just started going through and almost like a checklist of here's what I'm getting to know. I need to know the following things in the following order before I can start. And I can't imagine that you have Uber that has danced this dance before. I mean, they were in the middle of dancing it for other security breaches. And we're not going to talk about the lapsus one uh, last week, <laughs> two weeks ago. Like, yeah, yeah. They can't catch a break. Uh, no, but, and I, I'll tell you too, like mm -hmm. just sentiment, because I do a daily threat briefing every morning and uh, the sentiment from uh, the hundreds of people that attend every morning and even myself in the moment was, you know, Uber said like, oh, nothing, nothing was uh, affected. And I, like, you don't have that trust. Like it's been eroded. Like I don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> I mean, after I'd say after the third breach, you've lost our trust. Like after the first one, okay. Okay. Somebody had a bad day. Second one. All right. All right. Show yeah. us, you know, kind of show us, uh, show us your cards, show us like, tell us again, but the third one, which is what got us to the trial that they're on now. And this is what the fourth or fifth one. It's like yeah. every year it's like, Oh, another year, another Uber breach. So. I know mm -hmm. it, it makes me wonder if, you know, like obviously f financial services, they always invest heavily, but these big tech startups, you know, I mean, Uber has been around long enough to, to get past the startup stage and kind of bootstrap and everything. But I always wonder if they, it's not that they don't pay security attention, but they're like, just kind of that tech startup, go as fast as possible, make products, solve mm -hmm. customers problems. And you know, it's, it's just not a part of the deal. <laughs> You know what I mean? So right? I always wonder if that's baked in. It's an afterthought. It is mm -hmm. absolutely. And what's also uh, kind of plays into that is it's obviously not a priority. It's mm -hmm. obvious that they had security controls that they just weren't following or, you know, kind of, or they just weren't even implementing. Uh, think of how many companies it's like, uh, well, I bought this. Well, did you install it? Well, no. Did you have it properly configured? Well, no, but I bought it so I could check the box on oh my, my cyber insurance. You yeah. know, it's like, ah, oh, dude, no, that's not how this works. I like bellyache about that exact thing all day, mm -hmm. every day. Uh, so, all right. So it does bring up an interesting point, um, you know, with with this, right? So I, I wanted to get your thoughts concerning the reporting structure of CISOs we, or or CSOs, if you want to, you know, kind of use those interchangeably. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned sacrificial lamb. You mentioned them making decisions versus reporting. What what are your thoughts around kind of you know? There's a few. There's not many, but there's a few different kind of uh, approaches to CISO reporting structure and organization. What are your thoughts around uh, how one might be more beneficial of the other to control C-suite chaos? Well, and what also plays into that is, are they also, are they making decisions? Do they have that autonomy for the budget, for the prioritization, uh, for setting that? And if you're answering to anyone but the CEO and or the board, the answer is no, you really mm -hmm. don't. 
And where this really starts to come into play, which is, I talked about cyber uh, liability insurance, but most companies, if not slash all companies should have DNO, uh, directors and officers insurance coverage. Mm -hmm. And what that really points to and says, hey, there's going to be decisions. And as long as the directors and officers were acting within, you know, they just didn't utterly fail to do something that they're going to be covered, that if they screw up, life happens uh, and stuff. But a lot of DNO co coverage is going to extend to the VP level, unless you could make the case that, uh, hey, yeah, I'm a CSO, but I report to the CFO, but I report to someone else. Mm -hmm. And you look at, well, then you don't have the decisions. But as we saw here with Uber, it doesn't matter how far down the food chain, you're still getting sacrificed. So the reporting structure really gets back to is who's being held responsible uh, at the end of the day? Where does the buck stop? Like who's going to jail? Mm -hmm. And if you can say, look, I didn't have the ability to make the decisions, make the tough calls, then I shouldn't be the one going to jail. It should be the person who was making those tough calls that was, you know, taking the impact or information and mm -hmm. that should have to suffer, not suffer, but, you know, stay behind their decisions. Be held accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've always subscribed to the the you know I've always been uh, in the framework of CISO reporting to CIO, so I haven't experienced mm -hmm. uh, report you know uh, report to risk, report to legal, report to the board, whatever. So mm -hmm. you know I have limited experience on that, but I have always subscribed to the philosophy that as the CISO, my job is to advise the business. I have enough knowledge to be able to take this information and distill it down into a sit rep a situational report. And yeah. say, hey, listen, here's the deal. Like, here are your options that I can see, but here's the mm -hmm. deal. You know, what do what do you want to do? Like, here's three options, right? The guy, yeah. the guy who walks up to the president with the three options on how to respond to a military conflict, you know, it's it's the president's decision ultimately. You're just trying to do your mm -hmm. best to advise them. If you're good, if you're good CISO, like that's what you're trying to do is give them options to to make their own informed decision. And that's how I've always subscribed to it. Well, and that's what I try to do when I'm wearing my legal hat, be it with mm -hmm. Scythe or anyone else. It's trying to say, look, look, my job is not necessarily to make the, the final call. It's I can advise like, hey, here are the risks. Here's what, um, here's what could happen under this, 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 or this. The business, you know, business risks are, you know, our reputation, our financial impact, and how do you want to go? And that's, that's a great way of doing it because, hey, I'm coming with solutions. I'm coming with options, but this is why you get paid the big bucks, or this is why you get to sit on the board of directors is, you know, these are the calls that you have to make. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it, you know, just this conversation is, you know, I'm, I'm engaged and present in the conversation, but I also have my thoughts going <laughs> in the back of my head. And it just, it just boggles my mind. I, I'm, I, you know, like, like game theory would sit, you know, the, the idea of game mm -hmm. theory suggests that you evaluate the board or what, you know, like whatever it is that you're looking at, and then you make the decision that benefits you the best. Right. And maybe it doesn't benefit you the absolute best, but 
you know, for the longer term strategy and how it affects other players and, and, and all that stuff, you make the decision that's, you know, best suited for you. And I'm thinking of, you know, Sullivan making this decision, if it's true, to, you know, hide information and uh, underreport and misrepresent and do all these kind of devious things. And as a, I mean, he, like, you know, I don't know him personally, but it's been reported <laughs> that he was like, he was a cybersecurity superstar and like he clearly oh. knows the, you know, the game, right? So it doesn't, to me, it just doesn't follow game theory that he would be making those decisions unless there's some other influence or some other factor at play that I'm not thinking of, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's prestige, whether it's owning that situation, you know, for promotion or whatever. Um, it just, you know, it, 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 it stymies me a bit. Well, and you're like, to say he was a superstar and continues to be, in a lot of minds, uh, he was the former, I want to say like privacy counsel for Facebook. Like this yeah. was not his first rodeo. He was I've heard absolutely of <laughs> right. Um, he had a privacy officer. He had helped, um, was a former, I want to say prosecutor. Like mm -hmm. he absolutely knew this from the inside and out data privacy mm -hmm. and a lot of these business decisions. And the fact that, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, realistically, it seems like a lot of people are very quick to just throw him under, you know, the bus and say, Hey, uh, he did this. Uh, there was some of the testimony and the wall street journal had some good, uh, a podcast, uh, episode that had some of the transcripts from the trial and the mm -hmm. testimony. Cause it's, again, it's ongoing, but you have the, the general counsel going, yeah, I just didn't trust him. It's like, well, all right, but did you ask those follow-up questions? And if not, why not? You know, mm -hmm. and yeah, as general counsel, you shouldn't necessarily trust. It's trust, but verify, you know, you should, okay, these are these, you know, this information, this, these decisions that are being made, but it would be the first time I would have witnessed, even from the government, again, the municipal state government, but having now worked in multiple different startups, advised different boards, that the first time I would have been able to walk into a room, say, these are the decisions I made, and this is how we're going to do it. And there, there was no, there was no discussion yeah. that they just said, absolutely. From, you know, from Liz, Liz's mouth. So shall it be? It, yep. No. And if that's, they why, were, that's why we pay you, Liz. We're gonna go hit the T box. Yeah, See you a bit. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, are you kidding me? And you're seeing some of that come into play in other court cases where you've had shareholder uh di like disputes with companies saying, Hey, y'all made some decisions, you did some stuff, you had some bad practices. But this isn't that. This is going on to criminal uh jail time. Mm -hmm. for a company relying on what the CSO said. And it wasn't like he got fired. He was fired from Uber and couldn't find another job. He's the current CSO at Cloudflare, but on leave pending the outcome of this case. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to have your C a CSO that's behind bars. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
God, it's a, it's a tough situation. Uh, real quick, so Chad, if you guys have questions, throw them in, in chat, uh, preface it by IQ. Liz is a wealth of knowledge across many, many dimensions. I, I am loving this conversation, <laughs> but I just wanted to let chat know. Sometimes when they're when they're overwhelmed by a guest who is just like, ah, like, like radiating like the sun, like you are, Liz, um, they, there's, so they're good. so fast. They're, they're just, that's just the lamp behind oh, okay. me. Okay. They're enamored. So drop your questions in chat y'all, if you got any. So Liz, uh, one question that I had for you, and this was the very first question that came to my mind. The second I saw this story. Okay. Like I saw the story, the question went into my mind and I said, who can answer this question? And then <laughs> the next mind thought was you. And, and which is why I wanted to bring you on here. So Liz, what, what kind of, you know, this is not legal guidance, all the disclaimers, right? This is mm -hmm. just two people having a conversation. What kind of precedence, legal precedence, might this set, whatever happens with this case in Sullivan, for other CISOs, other CSOs, other C-suite people uh, for criminal legality and, and, and uh, accountability and stuff like that? Like, you always hear about legal precedence. Oh, this is set legal mm -hmm. precedence. Um, what do you, like, how, how could this story and this outcome affect legal precedent in the future? Well, so one, it's going to make a lot of people rethink their role. Um, and one of the first things that you see kind of happening from this and some of the other cases uh, dealing with, I'd say, similar decisions of sacrificing the CSOs and the CISOs is when you negotiate your next contract for your next role, build in that, hey, uh, I'm coming in to this role and I'm going to be in charge of security practices, architecture. I'm going to have this entire background of things that you're going to want me to throw myself in front of the bus on. Mm -hmm that I didn't build this, I didn't design it, I didn't create, y'all have permitted certain practices to go and that's why you're hiring me. And um, I want a cash payout that short of me getting dragged in, you know, into jail by the Department of Justice, you know, sacrifice me on that altar, that is a-okay, but here's the price. Uh, mm -hmm. And I want a golden parachute that like, sure, sure, I'll do this, but it's a million for every data breach you blame me for. It's 3 million for, you know, and I kid, but really do. I would immediately start rethinking and looking at one, how do I protect myself? How do I understand like, because you know, something's going to go wrong and it's just, it's inevitable. And what can I do to make sure that I can find that next role and keep food on my table? And is it the company's responsible for uh, paying my legal bills um, if we do this? And is the company responsible for uh, not only my legal bills, but I want I want a cash payout or yeah. I want stock. I want something, you know, something so that you're not impacted for the technical debt you just inherited. Yeah, I love the idea. It, like just putting myself in that position. I do love the idea because you're 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 basically um 
incentivizing them not to hang it on you because of the financial burden that they're going to have to incur for it. But Liz, I, w- I, w- I would, I don't want to push back because that's not my style, but I, I would, I would offer up the thought that if, if you, if I go to, you know, yeah. whatever co- company and I'm like, okay, it's a million dollars for every breach and it's $2 million <laughs> for every year, every, every year yeah. in jail I have to spend is $2 million that goes mm-hmm. to my family. Um, I feel like you're inviting it almost as an insurance policy to the board who say like, oh man, this looks really bad. Didn't Jerry sign up for this? And what's that going to cost us? $2 million. We made $8 billion last year. Let's throw him under the bus and we'll we'll just write it off. So I, I, you know, I'm like, oh my, I'm getting like anxious just thinking about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Twitter says what? Um, and you know, just ask much. Um, and, but one thing to look at is, uh, so looking at also the insurance, insisting on getting as much insurance coverage as you can for decisions. And I see a, a kind of a comment or a question in the chat, yeah. but that's a really great segue. I'll bring it up. Go uh, for it. Start answering it. The other stuff you can, yeah, the other stuff you can do is that CYA of making sure you are documenting the conversations you're having and when you're presenting those options. So with the question, board have ownership, when is the board accountable? And I swear I did not uh, seed the chat <laughs> with, um, with this question because it is an amazing segue to something that everyone is kind of waiting on pens and needles about. So couple of things, a couple of recent cases that we've seen, but also the SEC. Uh, I used to joke that all the different government agencies and uh, different regulators are like, oh, you can't have all the fun. We need to have some fun. And the SEC proposed some new rules that basically bring that liability to the board. Yeah. Uh, they proposed the rules in March. They uh, had, it was a 60-day comment period and comment period closed. A couple of the senators have done the usual dance of we strongly, um, uh, strenuously encourage the SEC to make a decision. And SEC is just kind of like, yeah, well, we'll get there. (laughs) Um, But part of that is making sure that uh, it kind of brings that liability into your, the board, um, the filings that you would have to do, your quarterly and periodic filings, the 8K, stuff like that would have to disclose breaches. You would have to disclose your board members who has cyber a background in cybersecurity. If you haven't, um, if if there's nobody on the board with that kind of background, that buy-in, have you brought in outside advisors, consultants, something? But uh, ask Boeing what it what happened. The board got held responsible, and the big difference being in those cases, it was financial penalties. Uh, Boeing with the seven thirty seven uh, Max. Uh, security oh, yeah. and safety issues. That was a, what was, I'm going to forget. I had it in my notes, like 200 and something million dollar. No, uh, it was a very hefty penalty for companies that make billions. Do they care? No, but um, it really, it's, 
you're starting to see more of that liability for the board. And that's why, uh, hey, you're going to have shareholder suits against the board. We've got a couple that uh, T-Mobile is currently going through one and, um, you know, was the board, do they utterly fail? There's a two-prong test, uh, conveniently referred to the care mark. It's a 96, 1996 decision coming out of Delaware where they said there's a two-prong approach to whether boards have really just like they call it utterly failed. Um, mm -hmm. did they did they just kind of hands off the wheel? Were there briefings made to the board? Did they ask? Did they stick their head in the sand? And so that's what I was saying. Like the CYA as a CSO or basically any executive reporting to the board, you want to document, document, document of here's my analysis, make a decision. Here are my recommendations, make a decision. But the SEC rules really bring that, uh, will really kind of drill down and bring it home for uh, boards that buy in at the C-suite in a higher level. But whether they'll be enacted, whether there will be actual um, like bite behind the bark, We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I I hate to, I'm you know I'm you might not know this, but I am cynical. Um, so <laughs> same. So same. yeah. So you know, all these financial penalties are fine to me. The Sullivan issue is particularly interesting because there is jail time associated jail with it. Jail time. And I and like you just said, I say this all the time when I see these fines. It's like, you know, whatever. Like Facebook fined two hundred and fifty million dollars in Ireland for doing all sorts of bad stuff, and it's like. Dude, like Zuckerberg writes, like just he like reaches in his pocket and just like here you go, right. and like just b back to making money. So I don't find that the fines are truly, to me, a fine or a deter, like some type of punishment should be a deterrent. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the concept of the mechanism. It's not supposed to be to grease your pockets or to fund some initiative over here. It's to deter the behavior. And money just isn't doing it. And I find that jail time, that gets people's ears perked up because now you're taking away their freedom and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want that. So to me, that's really um, an interesting element of that. Now, what's also interesting, Liz, I don't know if you do this. Mm -hmm. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this one, but uh -huh. in, in Indonesia, they just passed a law <gasps> a couple days ago. Yes. Okay. They just passed oh. a law and the punishment... For those who don't know, if you get punished for this, basically abusing uh, data collection, privacy, and, and privacy infractions, it's 2% period of your revenue, like just period, small company, mm -hmm. big company, 2%, and eight years in jail, period. Now, yeah. I don't know... I don't know who gets eight years in jail, but can, can we talk <laughs> about this? I'd love, you, I'd love your thoughts on this, Liz. Well, and the reason why I'm laughing over that one in particular uh, is because when you start looking at what different countries are doing, it, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, uh, when does it have to be reported? Uh, when does it have to? And is it like within uh, 72 hours, 48 hours? And it's like, well, when of what? And yeah, so uh, sorry, Jerry, you're going down. Uh, yeah. with most of these because you're you're gonna be the sacrificial um you know person and it 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 does it's like all right did we like draw straws and say okay in our grand conspiracy there was 10 of us 
that did this, but Liz drew the short straw. Liz, we've all like you are sacrificed as, you know, made yeah. the odds be ever in your favor. Um, and it's, it's kind of getting into that. Cause like, even with, uh, the SEC's proposed rules, it's a four day notice period. Um, and again, um, you know, it's the SEC, at least with their proposed rules said, all right, it's, you have to do a materiality test, but like with Indonesia and some of the other, um, Australia is looking at some of these disclosure mm -hmm. requirements and privacy UK is looking at their own. And one of the things that uh, is troubling is, yeah, who's getting, who's getting hit with this? What exactly are the disclosures that you're supposed to do? You know, are you recognizing that, um, you know, that sometimes life happens it was an unknown vulnerability. It was, mm -hmm. you know, we couldn't patch it in time or yeah, we found out about it. We found out about it when they sent us the ransom note. Um, and uh, being able to say, Hey, are we really hitting the right people? And are we going after the decision makers and changing the behavior, bringing, raising mm -hmm. this to that level, but yeah, good luck to any company that is doing stuff in Indonesia, uh, and some of these other countries, uh, you know, China is another one like, Oh yeah. Good luck with some of those. Um, Disclosure yeah, requirements. That, that, I mean, that one, you know, in, in, I mean, from what I've seen in the news as reported, again, I don't ever make a claim that I'm some geopolitical expert or whatever, <laughs> but it seems like if you, if you mess up in China, like they basically just appoint a government official to be on your board. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you basically get assimilated by the, by the regime. Yeah. Um, so you get re-educated on yeah. the dangers of cyber, like failing to follow. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But, but I, I do uh, feel you. Um, and again, from a human psychology perspective, um, you know, and we saw this uh, alarmingly during the early pandemic days with toilet paper went wild, right? Now you might not be like, mm -hmm. where are you going with this, Jerry? But here's my thing. The financial fine, it's kind of a diffusion of responsibility. It's like, oh, whatever. Like the company's coffers got the money, like whatever. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fight it in court for two years. We'll get it reduced. And then like, whatever, like we'll all have, you know, beach houses anyways. But when you start talking about prison time for an individual, I feel like it very becomes a, a very personal thing, much like toilet paper, right? Where it's like, hey, everybody, just one roll per person or one bag per person. And people are grabbing two, three. I had to buy black market toilet paper at one point. I met some guy in like a Lowe's parking lot. <laughs> anyways, anyways. But my my point is, that, like when it becomes very personal, uh, like you said, getting getting voted off the island or drawing straws, like people start looking for how is it not me? How do I, how do I protect myself? And I feel like with these, with these, 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 these prison things, you know, hopefully I feel like at the beginning, it's going to be much more like, Hey, everybody, it's that guy. Uh, and then eventually it'll kind of transition into like, we should probably not have to pick that guy because, you know, you know, for whatever reason, and they'll start putting in the right things. So anyways, interesting technique. I do find it's a more effective deterrent than uh, financial yeah. fines. Well, and, and part of this, going back to where kind of uh, coming full circle with uh, Sullivan and the Uber, it is not a matter of him being charged with uh, a poor response to this 
2016 uh, breach. It has nothing to do with that specifically. Uh It's, hey, we were doing some other stuff and we feel like you misled us or by making them sign NDAs, you you obstructed our negotiations for a settlement with a breach that was years before. And you're just yeah. kind of like, wait, a so I'm going to go to jail for a breach that occurred before I was with the company that I had nothing to do with perhaps, but because you don't like the fact of how we came up with a response plan mm-hmm. and you don't like the fact that we routed it through hacker one and a bunch of people said, oh yeah, no, he made some determinations. It's like, I'm the one who's going to go to jail and yeah. have mugshots and potentially eight years of my life gone because of, like, it's just absolutely bizarre how the DOJ, it's like, wow, y'all are just really trying to make a point and I'm getting thrown under the bus. And so as a C-suite or potential as, you know, uh, other folks are looking at their career path. I think this would have a serious chilling effect oh, on definitely. it. Definitely. Uh, so professor black ops, uh, I did want to spend a few minutes talking about ransomware. So if you, if you can, um, address, uh, professor black ops question, maybe in like a, a yeah. 90 second re- response here, he's asking about, uh, States privacy and breach notification. There are different ones all over the place. What, what is the privacy compliance future? I don't even need 90, 30 seconds. It's good luck. Uh, If we can't (laughs) agree on, you know, and you look at it from uh, between each of the states and each of the different countries, everyone has a different vested interest and uh, is putting different valuations on different aspects of it. Uh, The the likelihood of one, uh, one ring, one rule to rule them all is uh next i mean we can't even get think of like what it takes to get a resolution passed at the un and even then there's always somebody who sits out and says yeah no i don't support this um and you know showing my bias ukraine being one and Mm -hmm. there's like dude of course somebody's gonna you know defend this other you know idea so it do I see that likelihood not without some significant uh, changes? Uh, California is very proud of theirs. Illinois has an amazing um, BIPA, uh, their Biometric um, Privacy Protection Act, and they again the the bite behind its fines. But to get that to then align with Massachusetts, and we can't even get all fifty states to enact. Um, a privacy and a breach notification, <laughs> like right. period. I think there's still a couple that last time I did a survey, there were still a couple states that are like, yeah, no, we don't need it. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it was just in the news last week or two weeks ago that there's an effort to push forward a federal privacy legislation, mm-hmm. and the the big the big kicker was that um, it would supersede all state laws, and it would like states would not be allowed to go above the federal law, which makes no freaking sense to me. Uh, 
But right. you know, that's one way to get federal a federal privacy law. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's... I don't know why they do that. So. <laughs> They could. And then this is where, um, admittedly, my weakest class in law school was constitutional law. Uh, mm -hmm. And but yeah, preemptive, like, hey, if I want to enact something that's stronger than what the federal law, like, shouldn't I be able to? I've met the minimum. Mm -hmm. Let's use that as a minimum. But uh, there's going to be all kinds of challenges. And everyone's very proud of their own and companies are investing a lot of money in complying with one or the other that, you know, like, oh, great. Now I have to rewrite everything to comply with this, not to mention the EU. And, you know, does UK uh, follow the, you know, Brexit, YOLO. Um, yep. <laughs> and if, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is so, this is why lawyers will continue to have a job, uh, and CISOs and CSOs will continue to have a job. I just uh, if you need recommendations on perhaps employment lawyers to help review your contract, right? I probably yeah, it's know. A, I mean, it sounds yeah, it sounds like CISOs CISOs will ever always have a job because there's always got to be a sacrificial. Uh, lamb, but but again, showing my cynical hat. And if if Kimberly is still in chat, Kimberly is a longtime Simply Cyber community member. But uh, I always call her out for this. Um, I always follow the money, right? Follow mm -hmm. the money. So, and you just kind of alluded to it. A federal law that cannot be superseded means that these companies only have to invest in complying with the federal law. It's not about suppressing California because it's too constrictive or it's too hard to implement. It's literally, this is speculation, but it's straight cash, homie. It is, we can just implement one and be good to go and move on to the next thing. We don't need to have 50 people in our compliance department doing all these different things. That's what I suspect is the, oh, and by the way, lobbyists and people who help politicians get elected, right have you know financial interests so hey you know I, I i super packed your uh your election last year how about we get this federal privacy law again pure speculation my thoughts are my own they have nothing to do with liz or scythe or anybody else so anyway, right yeah well and there was a question of the like the best way to look at it is net neutrality when those uh rules were coming forward uh there was forget how much money google had donated, I think it was Google, had donated to various PACs and elected officials. They somehow got a meeting at the White House about uh, net neutrality and pages from the proposed rule to the final rule just disappeared. Oh, that's just, convenient. So instead of 50 pages, it's now a 43-page rule. And everyone's kind of like, well, because we never see it when it was proposed, but so yeah, no, that won't happen at the with uh, a federal. But at the same time, it would be so much easier for the rest of us to say, yeah, this is the minimum. This is mm -hmm. you've got to comply with this. I just uh, unfortunately, I have more faith in Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, and the Easter Bunny mm -hmm. than I do of that getting passed, which is sad. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We're, we're running right up against it. It's too bad, Liz. We might, if, if chat wants you, if, if you are interested, uh, we'd love oh. to have you back. I, I would love to talk about ransomware and how just recently there was a notice, uh, a measured decline in ransomware for the first time ever. You were there at the beginning in Atlanta when Sam Sam was caught. <laughs> 2017 
Wanna yeah. cry. That's like when ransomware took off and now it's so we'll have to have you back on to talk about well, that. But yeah, I was gonna say, and kind of a spoiler with that is what happens when everyone's so quick to add the nation state? Um, and you have the uh OFAC Office of Foreign Asset Control saying you can't pay a ransom to a country on our bad list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, so if the ransomware actors aren't going to get their money, uh, what's the point? Like, and the only reason they get their money is because insurance to pay for it. So yeah, sorry, but we can go into that. Sorry. No, no, no. I I think we could do a whole episode just on, just on ransomware. So I think it's Mm -hmm. good. But before we let you go, Liz, I'd love to give you an opportunity, uh, take the stage, share your final thoughts, whatever you want. Uh, this time is yours. Um, so have at it. Let's, there you go. Thanks. No, absolutely. And the, I guess, rallying cry that I don't think can be said enough as from top down is privacy by design, de-identification by default. And what I mean by that is if you are designing, if you're on the security dev side, um, down to a company that the first priority work in that privacy from the beginning. And work in those security controls. Give that. Don't let it be an afterthought. And the de-identification by design or by default means instead of us having to opt out every time we want uh, someone to stop tracking us or not follow like the cookies, what if we took the opposite approach that, sure, I'll let you take my marketing information and all of that, but let me make the decision to opt in. Uh, rather than it being opt out. So that's, again, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, and all the rest. But I'd love to see uh, privacy by design and de-identification by default becoming the standard. Love it. Thank you so much, Liz, for being here. I know chat absolutely loved it. Such value, such value. Like Liz, guys, the intro, it delivered, right? I wasn't (laughs) hyping her up, you know, unnecessarily. Like this is Liz. She kicks total butt. Liz, thank you so much for being a guest. I genuinely appreciate uh, your time today. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, if you don't know, uh, every morning at 8 a.m., I go live with a daily cyber threat briefing. I'm I'm, I'm mirrored, so it's hard for me to do this. (laughs) I go live with a daily cyber threat briefing. So if you're looking to um, stay current on what's going on in our industry, and you know engage with other people within our community network so it's good for people looking to break in it's good for people who already work in the industry that really need to be well informed of developing situations we covered numerous stories today that just happened to be in the news like the uber breach and um the indonesia privacy law so if that's interesting to you come join us simplycyber.io streams will take you to the next uh briefing which will be tomorrow morning at 8 a.m On behalf of Liz, thank you so much, Liz. Genuinely appreciate it. And to all of you at chat, thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 a.m., everybody. Take care.